We are more connected globally now than ever before. There is no reason whatsoever why people should not be working from home. You can check in via Zoom or Skype or, you know, you can have those phone call check-ins. Again, one of my kind of mantras with flexible working is that it should be checking in, not checking up. I don't check up on my team. I check in with them. Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, Gavin here. Welcome to episode 46. Often, I'm sure you grapple with the thought, how do I keep my staff more engaged, more motivated, achieving more, greater productivity and lower absenteeism? Well, actually, these are the results that Kate Walter and her team at Rhino Safety have achieved through introducing, right from the get-go, flexible working. Fascinating interview about how flexible working can improve the performance for your business and the engagement and the loyalty and retention and reduced almost zero absenteeism by introducing flexible working. So let's dive into the interview with Kate Walter of Rhino Safety. Kate, hi, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I am so excited and really looking forward to this conversation because the things that we've spoken about beforehand, I just know they're really, really pertinent topics that can add a lot of value to business owners wanting to build morale, build engagement and motivation, and and also help to attract the very best talent. So before we get into that, (laughs) introduce yourself, introduce your business and talk a little bit about your background before we get into, because I'm I'm obviously leaving it quite vague what we're going to talk about, uh, but (laughs) introduction from you first, Kate. Okay, well, um, thanks for having me, first of all, Gavin, I really appreciate it, um, because like you say, our previous conversations, you know that this is something I'm really passionate about as well, so I'm excited um, to get stuck in. But yeah, I'm Kate Walter, Um, I am one of uh, the directors of Rhino Safety Limited, which is a health and safety. Um, management consultancy. The other director happens to be my husband as well. Um, and uh, we also have a second business, which is um, Raw Business Coaching Limited, which it does what it says on the tin. It's business coaching, business masterminds, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, my background um, is a little bit varied. I started out uh, in my adult life as a primary school teacher originally. Um, didn't last very long in that, realised very quickly it wasn't for me. And so I retrained and um, did my postgraduate certificate in employment law and HR practice. So I uh, did that for the best part of a decade before um, myself and Simon, my husband, started up the first business, which was Rhino Safety Limited, which we started on the 1st of June 2015. So we're just over four years old now. Fantastic. And um, the area that and I think obviously came through your experience around employment law and and, and the HR consultancy and advice that you provided. Um, we're going to talk today about a matter really close to your heart is around creating flexible working within small high growth businesses so that it's a win 
for the uh, for the business owners mm-hmm. uh, operationally, and then also importantly, it's a win for the people that are in your team. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you're right. It is um, it's very close to my heart because it was a major driver in us starting our own business. Um, our previous experiences um, led us to a situation where we had a very young family where we felt we were trying to race through the Monday to Friday each week, barely seeing the children um, and trying to create this whole kind of life that revolved around our weekends, which ultimately always went by far too quickly. Um, And we were in that situation where we had Sunday night dread um, every single week. Um, And so yeah, that was that was uh, not the only factor, but certainly a significant factor in us starting our own business and choosing to do things a bit differently. Great. Okay. So, what you know, what conversation we'd had previously about was some of the challenges out there in the world of uh, small businesses and high growth businesses around offering flexible working. Um, I know that you've done this now for a number of years for for the for your team members. Can you let's let's talk about what you believe is to be the problem in the kind of workplaces, and then what you found to work in creating flexible working practices? Yeah, well, I mean, I think coming from my employment law background, I had got a lot of experience because, again, I was on a management um, consultancy side of things, so I was very often offering guidance and support. um, and legal advice to other business owners, and um. I would find so often that they would come to me saying, oh, so-and-so's put in a request for flexible working, and they would sound exasperated and worried and fearful of it. And I'd sort of be looking at the situation and going, well, okay, I mean, that seems reasonable to me. Uh, And the response would always be, "Um, yeah, we probably could do it for them, but then what if everyone else wants it? And so there was this absolute stumbling block um, constantly over the idea that, um, first of all, flexible working was very much seen as the the kind of in the realms of um, women, first and foremost. It was always women, always mums who wanted flexible working. Um, There was never any consideration for for anyone outside of that kind of bracket wanting or needing flexible working. And there was this fear that the floodgates would open to everyone else wanting flexible working and a mindset on behalf of business owners that that wasn't possible. So that was kind of um, my starting point. And obviously, with my background, I know the legislation very well and actually I think, unfortunately, the legislation is a massive part of the problem because, yeah, and I think a lot of people are surprised when I say that. I think it was extremely well-intentioned and very poorly executed. Um, It makes what should be a a relatively simple, and I know that sounds flippant, but, you know, bear with me, Um, what should be a fairly simple exercise, it turns it into something very complicated, and that, I think, is what creates the fear for people. So, um, yeah, that's, that was sort of my, my initial uh, responses and reactions to flexible working. And then when we decided to start our own business, um, obviously, we gave ourselves all the flexibility we needed. Uh, we chose to go into a business where my husband was the kind of the, the person with the technical expertise who would be going out to clients. Sure. Which meant that, yeah, that he he was obviously needed on site, um, and so I was primarily home based, which meant that 
I was the one primarily responsible for doing things like the, the school pickups and drop-offs. Um, and But even so, we still made sure that there was times when my husband could go on school trips uh, with our daughters and things like that. And he would make sure he was around for sports days, all, all those sorts of things. So we created that flexibility for ourselves when we started the business because it was just the two of us. We were literally working from our dining room table um, and it worked for us. But we grew very rapidly um, and it wasn't long before we were in a situation where we were having to take on, or not just having to, but wanting to take on staff, which meant then obviously gaining premises as well. And we, we were sort of, it was a big decision um, for us as, as a married couple and as directors of the business. It was a big decision, you know, thinking about overheads and the commitment you're making to taking on stuff on. And I just remember us kind of being, again, sat around the dining room table one, one night talking about how this recruitment would go. And I sort of turned around and said, look, Simon, I couldn't, in all honesty, take someone on and expect them to do you know, hard and fast set hours when I don't expect that of ourselves. Um, So I think if we're going to do this, we have to afford them the same level of flexibility that we afford ourselves. Great. So it it kind of just started from there, a very almost wishy-washy comment of, um, of I guess, a statement of intention of how we wanted to... it's you know as a leader it's walking your talk it's been absolutely yeah. true to what you value to be really important to your own personal lives and fulfillment at work and, and 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 family and not wanting to do as i say not as i do you were leading by yeah. example yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it and so then we we did that and then as we continued to grow we we kind of then set that intention quite formally and said look this is what we believe in this is what we believe to be the right thing and so we will roll this out across our entire team for as long as we continue to grow um and and that's just the way it is it's kind of one of our so core values now a handle around this then so when you yeah. talk about flexible working describe what that means if you know i was to join your team what what would that mean Okay, so we talk about the fact that our team has um, a fully flexible working contract. Now, I am straight away going to caveat this with the fact that with our business, we're in the professional services industry, we do very much work a Monday to Friday existence. So the flexibility doesn't really extend to weekends. Um, It's flexibility within the Monday to Friday working week. Um, But aside from that, it is exactly what it says on the tin all of our team members have full flexibility to decide um where and when they are working from um to suit their own needs and obviously meet the needs of the business as well so what that looks like in practice for us is that we have um certain team members who only work certain days because they uh, for instance one of our team her husband um is a a truck driver. So he doesn't really have weekends, but he always has Fridays off. So she wants to have 
that day where she knows she can spend that time with her husband. So that's what it looks like for her. For other team members, we have someone who um, her version of dependence is that she has a lot of horses. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm not into horses at all, but apparently there are a lot of work, especially early in the morning. Yeah, so yeah. she starts work later in the day so that she's got time to send, tend to her horses in the evening. Um, we have a team member who lives about an hour and a half away from where our office is based. So his version of flexible working is that he works from home. Um, and so it, it's and it's there's a myriad of other ways. Practicality then. If, yeah. Do they then have to? The lady that has the Friday off, or the lady yeah. that comes late because she's looking after her horses, do they make up their hours, their contracted hours within a week at different times? Then, how, how does that work practically? So, what we basically do again, because of my background, we do have um, very uh, robust employment contracts in place. But what that looks like in terms of working hours is that everybody has what we call their core working hours. Sure. So, we treat that as basically a guide to this is the number of hours per week week that we think you need to fulfill all of your work commitments Um, and then yes they choose how to work around that and the most important factor of this is that we always say we count the work not the hours so if someone is if their core hours looks like your standard 37 and a half hour week if they get all of their work done in 33 hours then all power to them. If it takes them 40 hours, that's also fine. But it, it's as long as the work's done, we don't really mind. Um, now, that's I refreshing. think we're... Pardon? That's refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I I do get a lot of people reacting with surprise to that, but I just think it makes sense. You know, it's outcome, I, right, outcome focused, and that's the way it should be. Absolutely, it is. It's all about the outcomes. And um, we have never, I think some people are worried that if you say that, that people are going to rush through the work, you'll have slapdash work um, that's not high quality, so that they can only do 20 hours but still get paid for 40. And in my experience, that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, if if we ever got to a situation, it hasn't happened yet, but if we ever got to a situation where someone was saying after 20 hours, all my work's done and they were actually contracted to 40, then actually that would be on us as directors to say, well, we've no. clearly weighed this roll up wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that just doesn't happen. Um, but if they do manage to get things done um a few hours quicker then you know as far as i'm concerned that just means that they're working hard <laughs> that that's there's no reason to punish people for doing that i've seen examples where um operational requirements of the client so in a service-based industry operational requirements of the client clashed with the family um require or aspirations of the employee yes and the crazy thing that's happened is the business has ended up subcontracting extra resourcing so a family commitment could be made at extra cost from erosion of margin or actually yeah. break even on that assignment which if i'm putting my pure commercial heads by the way I, i'm i'm saying i'm an advocate of this yeah i also want to be a devil's advocate by saying oh. pra- practically or from an operational and commercial point of view how do we make things work when you've got that um, tension at times, occasionally, between yeah. the needs of the client, who ultimately you're in business to serve, and the needs of your of your team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't see that as uh, you in any way um, being negative towards the concept. These are the sorts of considerations that businesses do need to make. Now, in terms of the way it works in our business, you're right. We have um, we have SLAs and KPIs in place with our clients, um, which means that they do expect a certain level of service, and they don't want to be phoning up at you know nine o'clock in the morning and being told, "Oh well, you know, no one's in yet." So obviously, so what we tend to find is that I I personally again this is just coming back from my previous experience, I would much rather have multiple people um, covering essentially one working week's worth of hours, i.e. through job shares, um, through multiple part-time members of staff, than having one full-time member because it gives you that flexibility. It, it's very rare for everybody to want the exact same pattern. So it gives you that scope and that coverage to make sure that you have got um, resources and availability at every end of the the kind of uh, working hours scale. So that's one way that that can be addressed. Um, But in other ways, I think where you there will if you're in a situation where you are already an established business, And this is a change that you want to make. There is going to be a period of time where there are teething troubles. There is, um, you know, friction in getting things settled. But what you find is that where this is implemented and it's implemented well and it's successful, you end the, the end result of that is always loyal, engaged, motivated staff. That's that is just as simple as that. There's no argument about that. So where that happens, then people are more likely to be flexible in return for the organization because they know that further down the line, when it's them that are in need of that flexibility, they will get it back as well. So it has to be based on a relationship of reciprocity um, uh, and mutual respect for each other's needs. That's it. That's really um, the bare bones of it. As long as that is very firmly put into place, then those kind of issues do tend to resolve themselves. For an organisation that hasn't yet created that culture that wants to introduce flexible working, are there some key things they need to do to get it right so that when they launch it, that it's going to be a success or likely to be a success? Definitely, yeah. I mean, um, I, I won't beat about the bush. I am very open about the fact that we're extremely lucky that we um, implemented this culture from a, a, a standing start. Um, it's much easier to do it that way, which yeah. is why I very much wax lyrical about this to startups and say, do it right at the beginning, because it's a lot easier to do it that way than it is to implement it to an already established organization. I'm very aware of that. So as much as for, obviously I am biased for flexible working, and so I will always say how it can work well, I am very aware of the fact that actually implementing this as a change into any organisation, it is going to be difficult. But there are things that organisations can do to make it easier on themselves. And the first thing, as um, as woo as this sounds, is just to have a genuine belief in its ability to work from the very top. So um, 
if we're talking about a company with a board of directors or just one director or management levels, whatever it is, the people at the very top of the chain need to have genuine belief and engagement in the flexible working culture. Because if they don't, that will trickle down and no one will trust it. So it will just fall apart. And I have seen that happen. Okay. I've seen it where HR managers have pushed for it to be implemented, but because they haven't had the buy-in from the board, it's never worked. Um, I've seen it where directors have said they want to do it, but they're kind of paying lip service to it. So if you've got uh, board directors, senior managers who are genuinely engaged with the concept and want to make it work, you're putting yourself you know, miles ahead of the game anyway. And then really, it's a matter of um, unpicking the current culture and reestablishing the culture that it is that you're trying to achieve. Because flexible working is all about culture. And yeah. the, the core, those core values of trust and transparency are absolutely key to it. One of the things that I very much impress on my staff is that um, I want them to be fully open and honest with me about um what the, how they're using their flexible working that's not that they have to justify it in any way um it's it's not a case of you know i do see people who will say oh well i don't think that's a good enough reason to have flexible working because it, people have this view of flexible working as for parents or for people with dependents um and we don't work that way in in our business Flexible working is there for your life. And I'm very clear about that. It's about you living the lifestyle that you want to lead and doing so alongside being very happy in your work for us. So if people start questioning, oh, well, they're leaving an hour early to go to the dentist, but that person wants to leave an hour early to go and get the nails done. Oh, well, getting your nails done is, you know, really superficial. So that shouldn't be allowed. You can't do that. It has to be a case of this is what we believe in this is what we're doing and you're not asking people to justify things um but they do have to be open and honest like i say so that transparency is really key um i i'm just thinking about if you've got a fairly sizable team yeah let's say more than 20 employees in your team and ha- the the practical management of it because let's just assume that the lion's share of people in that team would be trustworthy and honourable with the privilege that yeah. you're offering. But there will always be some that will give them an inch, take a mile. Yeah. And so how how do you practically manage it? Because I'm assuming that within this, you've got to be really good at feedback conversations and holding people accountable for delivery of outcomes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you have to have people who are very willing to have those difficult conversations, but not only that, but who are willing to take the action when necessary. And I've been in that position myself. So, um, yes, they're, they're for the... of people who will appreciate it for what it is and treat it properly. There is always that minority who don't. You have to be willing to cut to the chase and um, first up, say when that's unacceptable and when boundaries are being pushed, but ultimately taking the action to cut that person from from the organization if it gets to that point because the point is it, it's it's like the the bad apple in the cart analogy you know if you have people in the organization like that they will spoil 
the situation for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that's something that is isolated to flexible working. I do wish in general that organisations would be much more confident with recognising when when someone doesn't fit in as a member of the team with whatever that organisation's culture and values are and will say, this isn't working, we need to end this relationship. I see so many companies... Yeah, exactly. And and I see so many companies carrying dead wood simply because they don't have the confidence to have those conversations. And that's key. You know, you, you're you you're professionally trained, you're an expert, a professional in employment law in in, in, in HR, you know how a from a, a legal point of view, how to have those conversations, but you're well practiced and capable of having those conversations to achieve you know, the best positive outcome, most positive outcome you possibly could. Yeah. Many aren't, though. No, you know, for exactly. Earlier on this week, I was with a corporate group, and um, the, 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 there are uh, mid-level leaders do some work on them to become more effective senior leaders. And here was the phrase that kept coming up the most about what was the one thing that they needed to get better at in terms of improving their leadership skills. My ability to have difficult conversations, my ability to have courageous conversations, my ability to hold people accountable. But and it's all the same stuff. Yeah. And then I'm saying to them, by the way, what happens in your own head when you say, I'm gonna have a difficult conversation? What's the state change? Oh, well, I get ready. Okay. So you enter into that conversation ready for an in inverted commas difficult conversation, and you're gonna come across difficult. Yeah. Now let's flip it over. What happens when you get ready for a courageous conversation? Yeah, your shoulders are black, back. You take a deep breath. You you be courageous like a lion, ready to start. <laughs> That's the wrong presupposition to enter into a conversation in the first place. Yeah. So, to me, the elephant in the room here that we're talking about is people's um, comfort, confidence in having those open and candid conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And and I have to say, again, um, you know, it, it sounds, I know it sounds counterintuitive that as someone who, who has practiced and lectured in employment law to be slating employment law, but again, I do think that legislation has complicated things for people. It's not been made as simple as it could be, or at least, sorry, no, it can be simple. People's understanding of it, though, isn't thorough enough to understand where, you know, they where they can take things and where they can take control as, as um, leaders and business owners. But I think also, I think there is an issue around um, people who have been absolutely great at their job, who then rise through the career ladder and become managers and senior leaders without having any training whatsoever in managing or leading people. And just because someone is great at their job, that doesn't mean they're going to be great at managing people. And again, that's something I see so much. And even though going back to what you were saying, yes, I am practiced in it. I am qualified in it. I'm highly experienced in it. And when I was the person floated into other people's organisations to have those difficult conversations, I didn't give it a second thought, really. Doing it in my own organisation is a totally different kettle of fish. So I completely understand how hard it is for people. So what advice could you give to a manager or a business owner who knows that they, that, they, that they needs to develop their confidence in having a conversation around performance being below par or objectives not been achieved when they should have been achieved. Yeah. Um, how would an individual, a, a manager or a leader, prepare a business owner, prepare for that conversation and give you some tips and also then how they would 
best lead that or, or you know engage in that conversation yeah well i think first things first i i am a, a huge advocate of lifelong learning um i i just think everyone particularly anyone who is a business owner or leader um they should always be on that journey of, of trying to improve themselves For sure. so first things first i would say anyone who has any kind of responsibility for managing or leading people should get themselves trained. It doesn't have to be, you know, really high level CIPD qualifications or anything like that, but just some form of training in managing people and leading people, I think is really key because it, it gives you that perspective and objectivity as a, as a standing point, really as a starting point. Um, and then the other thing that I, again, this might sound a little bit pitchy, I guess, bearing in mind what I do now. But I, again, I am, um, I very much champion people not trying to do it all themselves. Um, there are outsourced agencies and companies out there for a very good reason. Use them. You know, don't think that because you're the business owner or because you're a director or a senior leader, oh, well, you know, everyone expects me to know everything and to be able to do this. No, that's not the case. You know, I, I'm not expected to be able to submit my chartered accounts. I'm not a trained accountant. I outsource that to someone. And HR is no different. So get that support from an outside outsourced person if necessary um because if nothing else they will be able to make sure uh, or give you that certainty that you are acting in a reasonable way and again that's something that for me is really key a lot of employment legislation is simply about acting reasonably and i think a lot of people forget that you hear a lot of oh you can't do this you can't do that well, actually, that's not the case. Legislat legislation says that you can do an awful lot of things as long as you do them reasonably. So um, having sort of a, a qualified external person giving you that objective advice of, yes, it's fine for you to have that conversation. That's a reasonable expectation that you've got of that person gives you that confidence and that grounding to say, yeah, OK, I can take this forward. And then in terms of if you're going to actually have that conversation yourself, I think it comes back to what you were saying, making sure that that you're in the environment and state where you are comfortable and calm and measured in your approach rather than um, I have seen a few kind of <laughs> examples of people going super alpha and, uh, and thinking that that's what they need to do to take control and be dominant and rah, I'm right, so I'm going to be this way. That That's not the right approach at all. Um, some of the best outcomes that I've had in my HR and employment career have been where the, the whole meeting has been condu conducted in a very calm and quiet and slow manner, you know, where people are taking the time and being thoughtful and considerate. Um, they, they invariably end up with the best outcomes. So do you... In a meeting like that, do you lead by letting the team, uh, giving the team member the opportunity to speak and give their own perspective on a particular objective, whether they're a performance against a particular objective, for example? Yeah. And again, I guess this comes back to my education and, and coaching experience and qualifications. Um, I would much rather ask someone questions um, and let them kind of come up with the answers themselves that I am looking for, if that makes sense. That sounds slightly sure. manipulative. Um, but 
even in very contentious situations, I've been in some very serious disciplinary meetings um, that have ended up in, you know, summary dismissal situations and where the, where the people involved have been very aggressive, I still take the same approach. If you ask a question, someone in that mindset will end up um, kind of throwing themselves under the bus in a way. Yep. Um, but if it's, if it's a situation where there is genuine engagement and you want a positive outcome, then asking the right questions so that someone can actually come to the conclusion for themselves, do you know what? I've not been doing this correctly or yes, I've taken advantage and I can see that and I understand that's a much more positive route forward than just kind of sitting down and going, right, you've done this, this and this wrong. And this is what needs to happen because that automatically puts people on defensive. So I tend to prefer to start um, a meeting like that by saying that laying out facts, things that are indisputable. So if it was something around, um, let's say absenteeism, it would be a case of, okay, this is what we're looking at. Um, there appears to be a pattern here. The absences have fallen on these days. You then don't make any kind of um, judgment or opinion on that. Then you just pass it over with, um, what do you think about this? Because if, if you go down the road of saying, right, you've been absent on this many occasions and they're all Mondays and I think you've been out drinking all weekend and are just hung over on a Monday, what do you think about that? People will come back defensively. But if you yeah. just say, yeah. I've noticed this pattern, tell me about that. What's going on here? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The so onus is on them then. Yes, absolutely. And yes, they, they are still likely to be defensive. But if you're taking that kind of measured approach, you're much more likely to get people taking responsibility for themselves and being apologetic um, than than if you go massively on the offense with them. And basically what you're doing is you're you're feeding back on the specific action or behavior they've not turned up rather than loading a judgment or an assumption behind it. it they've not turned up because of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately, yes, you know, we're all human. We all make judgments. We all have opinions about how or why things are happening. But actually, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And I've I've seen people go down that route where they've made judgments and have been proved horrifically wrong. And there have been some really sad circumstances behind the situation. But by that point, the trust is already broken. Um and by that point, even when the manager has wanted to be supportive, the the employee has felt so judged um, that it's been really difficult to repair the, the working relationship and come back from that. Yeah, no, no, I get that. Um, so we've spent some time focusing on how to do it right, some of the challenges or uh, points of apprehension where somebody might not introduce flexible working. Let's look on the other side of the coin then. So. What do your what have you seen as a benefit uh, for the right for you as directors of Rhino Safety? Very again, we're very honest about the fact we don't pay high wages, and we've got members of our team who are extremely highly qualified and experienced, and we know full well they could earn a lot more money in other organisations. So what they're getting from us is the flexibility that means they are leading a lifestyle that suits them as well as being able to to suit the business as well so it absolutely works in Rhino's favor on those respects bottom line though our staff like I say our team are engaged they're loyal 
they're incredibly committed to Rhino and what we're trying to achieve because we've got big ambitions for the business. This isn't a, a kind of, um, it's not a lifestyle business in the sense of, oh, you know, you're just doing enough to get by. We've got serious plans for Rhino's growth, including business acquisition as well. So they're really engaged with that and they're really committed to that cause. Um, we don't have absenteeism issues at all. It just doesn't happen. Um it, you know, it, that's it's, a hard metric, isn't it? You know, that, yeah. that, that that's business case material. You know, in terms of the money that you have saved by loss of productivity through absenteeism, it, it, you know, it will be significant alone. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you come right down to the very commercial elements of it, um, we're a professional professional services uh, company. Um, obviously great profitability margins in that sector generally. Our profitability has not decreased as a result of our um, flexible working. It's it's just very gratifying to know that they are genuinely happy and that they know they could earn earn more elsewhere and they choose not to. They choose to stay with us. So it's, yeah, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not perfect. and I wouldn't expect any of the team to say that we are, but they do know that we are trying our absolute best and they appreciate that. And so they try their best for us as well. Love that. We are more connected globally now than ever before. There is no reason why, whatsoever why people should not be working from home. You can check in via Zoom or Skype or, you know, you, you can have those phone call check-ins Um Again, one of my kind of mantras with flexible working is that it should be checking in, not checking up. I don't check up on my on my team. I check in with them. Um, And it's a kind of, you know, how are you? How are things going? What are you getting through today? Is there anything you need a hand with? Okay, cool. You know, you know where I am. Give us a call if you need anything. I work from home um, for a significant part of the week. Um, I think employers just need to, we need to move away from this kind of traditional stereotype view that you need bums on seats between nine till five, Monday to Friday. It's just not necessary in this day and age, you know. And I know for myself, very often I get some of my most productive work done when I'm at home, when there are no distractions. And I can't go and stand next to the coffee maker with a biscuit and have a chat about, you know, what everyone did at the weekend. Um, If I'm working on any sort of project that needs my focus and concentration, I go home. I don't, you know, I don't make any excuses for it. I know that's where I get that sort of work done. And if employers could recognize that and see the benefit that that would bring that they could allow those staff um, that kind of flexibility and still get the work done I think it would open a lot more doors but also I think there needs to be an acceptance. Let, let me talk about scalability right so yeah. you talk about this wonderful word about family and, and beyond a certain size that level of connection and individual you know with each individual member of your team becomes more challenging. Yeah. And a lot of the conversations that I'm having with businesses and we're talking about on the podcast is about how do you grow and scale? Yeah. So you said earlier on in this conversation that you've got uh, ambitious plans of what you want, where you want to take Rhino. I'm no doubt, given what I I know of you, uh, what the time I spent with you, you've already thought this through, but what are you thinking about? How do you maintain this family feel 
and this culture and this flexibility as you scale and grow and your employees, you know, grow in numbers significantly. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yes, it's something I've given a lot of thought to and it is something that worries me. Um, you know, I'm very conscious that we are we are still a small team. It is still um, fairly easy to manage. Um, and I do worry that, that that won't be the case as we grow. But it's a it's a minor worry because I do see other large businesses doing this. So I know it is possible. I think for me, um, I, I think with scalability, there's kind of uh, like peaks and troughs that business owners have to go through where we're at a point at the moment where we've been working really hard for the last 12 months to uh, go through systemization processes um, to make sure that the businesses can run with almost without me and Simon so that we are able to take a step back and work at a very strategic level to grow our businesses. So we've been work, working really hard to make that happen and, and we're getting those. I think it'd be appropriate to give Jamie a bit of a shout out at this moment. Definitely. Jamie Keeling has been hugely impactful for us on this. Um, he's absolutely guiding us every step of the way and I rec- recommend him to anyone. It's painful. It's so painful, um, but it's brilliant um and he's been really key to that so we're getting to that point now where things can run me and simon went on holiday in august with our girls um and it's the first time since we started the business that we've been able to go away in the summer we went away for two weeks we were so nervous um we do we like our holidays but previously we've always gone at christmas time because a lot of our clients shut down over christmas so we've kind of been like yeah Yeah, we can manage this you know um so this year we, we went away for two weeks for this first time in the summer we were so nervous about it and it was brilliant we didn't take a phone call we both kept an eye on our emails but to be honest with you we got back and and the team were like you know the stuff that you forwarded to us you were actually creating more work because we'd already dealt with it so but what <laughs> it a liberating brilliant. feeling when you go from um you know, you know effectively having a job and managing people to one of being business owners yes and as you grow yeah. and acquire and are like- you going to move to be investors which is yeah. the next step <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's. Uh, it, I did have a moment where I was like, "Oh, I think I think we're like actual grown-up business owners now." Yay! Um, yeah, um, but I think the point is, in terms of scalability of the flexible working, I am consciously tracking the time where, um, yes, we need to be able to step back and work strategically, but w- there will also come a point where we need to be able to step back in and cascade um, our way of managing and creating this culture to our next level levels of management as and when they arise. And I think that's what's going to be key to keeping it as it is, regardless of the size, making sure that we are training um, our managers and, and our future leaders to do it in the same way that we have. And it is all about culture. We're, we are very much people who hire based on people who will fit um, rather than people who look right on paper. Um, now, I, I'm not, I'm a, I have to be quite careful because I'm not a massive fan of people who go, oh, attitude beats ap- aptitude every time. Because no, um, if I've got, you know, if someone needs heart surgery, they don't want a surgeon with a great attitude, but no skill. Um, there has to be aptitude but having said that we have in the past hired people with 
less qualifications, but who have been the right fit because we we could see that the aptitude was there. It just wasn't formalised yet. Um, so I think that's that's quite key for us. It's all it's all about our culture, our ethos, and our values. Which, by the way, we have splashed across our wall. Uh, if you if you look on my LinkedIn, we put a picture up. Um, we've got a great big vinyl decal on our wall with our culture and values. So we don't shy away from letting people know what we stand for. Um, and we recruit to that first and foremost. So I think as long as we stick to that as we grow and we do go through these levels of stepping away and stepping back in, stepping away a bit more and stepping back in again, I think if you, if you make sure that everyone in the organisation is leaning into that culture, um, I don't think we'll go far wrong. So Kate, how can I, we could talk all day about this, and uh, this is a, a, a really engaging conversation. But how do how do people find out more about you? They want you to come and talk about such matters, uh, you know, to a business audience, or they want to find out more about you or Rhino Safety. How would they do that? Um, any social media platform you can find us on. Um, I am that person with the awkward name. So although Kate sounds very um, plain, it's Kate with a C because I am technically a Catherine. So it's Kate Walter. Um, and it is Walter, not Walters or Walker. We get a lot of that as well. So you can find me on LinkedIn or I also have a, a personal page on Facebook as well um, for my business profile. Uh, or you can find Ryan, uh, find Rhino Safety Limited also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and again, I always say it's Rhino like the animal, not Wino like the person Wino who likes safety. wine. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we we're health and safety consultants. We're called Wino. No, Wino. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, I think that would, so that would be a whole, a whole different company, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would thank you so much for your time today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank uh, you for having me, Gavin. Really enjoyed pleasure. it. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.